0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org party today. Thanks for joining us.
1: This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Better get healthy and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran.
0: The pandemic of human consumption of meat and dairy is killing animals, including human animals. It's killing our souls and our sensitivity and Yet, we still resist. We eat animals during a pandemic that was caused by eating animals. We do everything but go vegan, despite how destructive we know our animal swallowing habits are to literally everything on the planet. Those are the words of Michelle Schaefer, journalist and vegan lifestyle coach and educator. You can read the entire post at MainStreetVegan.net slash blog. It's a beautiful, beautiful heartfelt post about what's going on now and maybe what we can do about it going forward. Hi everybody, I'm Victoria Moran and I am deeply grateful that you found the Main Street Vegan radio show and podcast. After the break we'll follow up more on the zoonotic origins of COVID-19 with Dr. Ayesha Akhtar. But now Let's have a little fun, and we will, as we talk about self-care and vegan business and loving life with actress and entrepreneur, Daniela Monet. So if anybody ever told you, well, I used to be vegan, but I just didn't have much energy, you need to meet this woman. She is in. Every kind of business, she knows all about beauty and wellness, and she reaches out to more than 3 million people on her social platforms with tips and tricks about making us all more gorgeous. And now that she is a new parent, she and her fiance, Andrew Gardner, co-host a new podcast on that topic, the number one podcast on Podcast One, and you can find it other places as well. It's called Adulting Like a Mother, Father. (laughs) Daniela has been vegan for 17 years she started when she was just a kid herself and she is part of thriving companies including kinder beauty pig out chips and sugar taco welcome Daniela
2: Oh, thank you Victoria. Such a nice warm intro.
0: Well, it's wonderful to have you because I know that your partner in Kinder Beauty is Ivana Lynch, whom I just love and adore, and so all friends and business partners of Ivana are friends of mine.
2: <laughs> oh, so. she spoke so highly of you and I said, "Absolutely, I must I must virtually speak with Victoria." Aww. Well, I'm thank so... you for doing what you do.
0: Thank you. And back at you. So let's start with your history. You really started young, five years old, vegetarian,
2: 13, vegan. What started all that? I was five years old when I went to a dude ranch with my family and uh, they had a rodeo there. And so everyone sort of gathered around to watch this outdoor rodeo with some of the livestock that they had on their land and it was the first time I'd ever seen in front of my eyes uh, just the most inhumane animal cruelty and I saw the pain in the, the eyes of the cows and I heard them moan they basically in so many words you know were getting lassoed by these cowboys and and flipped onto their their backs basically and then branded and it was torturous for me to witness. And it was so weird to see people almost congregate around such a horrendous event that I knew I was almost different in that exact moment and that I couldn't be a part of this and I couldn't, I couldn't witness it no longer. But I also just didn't, I wanted to understand why. And I think, you know, at five years old, you're young but you're very inquisitive and you're learning so much about the world and so much about your perspective of the world. And so I asked a lot of questions and I specifically remember my dad being very honest with me. And that evening at the same dude ranch, they hosted a dinner in the dining hall and they served their own steaks from the cows that were raised on their land. And so, so much sort of came tenfold for me, and I knew in that exact moment, I didn't know exactly what being a vegetarian meant, but I knew in that exact moment that I didn't want to eat animals, and I never wanted to hurt animals or be a part of um, the reason why animals were being hurt, so that's when I decided to, I guess, essentially go vegetarian, and as a kid, it wasn't maybe the most common or the easiest. I I grew up in an Italian family, um, you know, so much of our lives surrounded around, was surrounded around food. And, um, and so it took a lot of, I guess, independence and confidence um, to be vegetarian at a young age, but eventually, and it didn't happen overnight, but eventually my family really grew to support me. I learned how to feed myself and, you know, prepare meals and found places that had, you know, vegan or vegetarian options. And then it took probably about a handful of years for me to, a couple things happened um, where when I was about 11 years old, my uncle was um, suffering from cancer. Basically at that point, he was nearly terminal and we kind of knew it. And he had hospice at his house, he was at home. And I remember my aunt having a vegan chef come over to help them learn how to prepare vegan meals. And so because I was vegetarian at the a, at that age, she said, come on over and we'll learn how to make this at the time it was a vegan enchilada. And so I was so interested in it. And I learned a lot about what vegan meant. I didn't even know there was such a thing at the time. And so that was my first sort of exposure to veganism. And I thought, wow, it's so interesting that we're trying to feed, you know, Uncle Barry vegan food? Why is this so beneficial for him at this point? And I I asked those questions. And again, like being 11 years old, I was very influential, learned a lot about why vegan is is healthy for a human being. And then around that same time, I was in middle school, I read a book, (laughs) ready for this, it was called skinny bitch. And this was probably about a year or two after his passing away. And I had already started to sort of get rid of animal products because I had learned that there were alternatives but it was really when I read this book that I realized what factory farming really entailed in terms of like everything but especially the dairy industry that one really took me by surprise and really affected me emotionally and so it was in that exact moment that maybe I didn't eat you know cheese or milk um in its like full form, but I was still sort of eating it in maybe a baked good or things that were just there out of convenience. So it was when I was about 12 or 13 that I realized I'm no longer just a vegetarian. I am full on vegan and I want to run with this and um, really represent the well-being of animals.
0: What a beautiful story. And Skinny Bitch has influenced so many people when I travel and ask people, what did it for you? It seems that earthlings, forks over knives, or skinny bitch <laughs> are, are the things that did it for everybody kind of under 40. And some of the people over 40 go back to John Robbins' uh, Diet for a New America. But those just seem to be above and beyond everything else that's gone out in the past 30, 40 years, what has, has moved people. And I love the idea... Of kind of hiding the vegan message in that book title Mm -hmm. and it's it's interesting I see that some of the things that you do kinder beauty box I mean somebody could take that to me and you're just going to be kinder to your skin you know sugar taco that sounds fun and Mm -hmm. yet you've got the whole vegan ethic underneath so since you mentioned enchiladas (laughs) being something that uh, moved you let's move to tacos sure What's Sugar Taco and where? Oh is t- yeah,
2: so Sugar Taco is a plant-based Mexican food restaurant uh, located in Los Angeles. It's founded by a group of, I guess you'd say, influential females that um, you know may be known for their influence via social media or modeling or acting, um, whatever it may be. But we're all. Uh, we all came together to basically invest in a restaurant that was 100 base 100 percent based on ethics, and essentially our whole goal is to really save the the world one taco at a time. So, <laughs> you know, when we were putting the the restaurant together, just to give you an example, everything that helped build our restaurant was. Mindfully created. So from our tables being made from recycled crates from, you know, various construction sites to our plates and our cups and any sort of decor being found at Goodwill shops and repurposed or um, just, you know, even our, our menu itself is made with foods that we can get sustainably um made you know so that farmer that it's all very accessible and it doesn't put a huge strain on on farmers in our environment um and we also donate obviously so we have different tacos that go direct like if you buy a taco you then um have the, well, you then have the ability to plant a tree with one of the organizations that we're partnered with. We also work with Imperfect Foods to get a lot of our um, produce, which is a company that has essentially like overstock produce that isn't necessarily perfect enough to be sold in stores. So um, we try to be mindful of just any sense that we can sort of help planet and help um, create a more sustainable and cruelty free way of just eating delicious food. We're behind that 100%. And it's been such a huge success. And I'm really proud. Well, I think that
0: nowadays people want more when they go out to eat. They don't just want good food, they want food that mm-hmm. is going to do something for their bodies and, and do something for the world. I see you're also part of the Ohm Guarantee. Um, for Food for Life Global, we had uh, yes. Paul Turner on the show last week talking about how businesses can be part of that. And here you are part of it. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. Yeah. So. We love the one for
2: one model. I think that that's like a very popular model that a lot of newer companies are, are using. And you're right. Like as a consumer myself, I want to know that, you know, my money is being put to good use and it's not just, you know, something that can be a temporary, little perk in my life. I want to know that it's going to affect something as well in the long run.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, let's move on to outstanding foods and pig out chips.
2: Yay. (laughs) Oh, so that was a fun one. I actually, funny story, I was about 16 years old when I kind of accidentally stumbled into a hosting slash waitressing job at Madeline Bistro with our chef of Outstanding Foods, Dave Anderson. So he had worked at Real Food Daily, which is another popular vegan restaurant that was um, sort of one of the frontier restaurants here in LA in the vegan space. And so I was familiar with him. And, and funny enough, our sous chef was Tall Ronan, who now is the founder of Crossroads, another really nice restaurant here in LA. And so I was in really good company and 16 years old, learning a lot about the food space and the vegan food space specifically. And it wasn't until about five or maybe four or five years that Dave Anderson called me And he asked if I'd be interested in investing in a new opportunity cut to today, we now have outstanding foods. So I was one of the initial investors, but since we've gotten, I mean, so many incredible influential individuals. Um, I mean, most recently we had Snoop Dogg just come and invest, which is a really fun one to chat about, but the company is just, it's, it's, so much fun to be a part of and the food the snacks are delicious everyone can eat these um we now have pig out pork rinds which are packed with protein healthy gluten-free GMO free like everything you can imagine kind of ticks those boxes and I just love being a part of the company because I feel like obviously the people behind it I or they're like family but um also it's just something that everyone can enjoy not just you know the vegans of the world uh so it's been really fun
0: That sounds amazing. So these chips, uh, I haven't had one, I'm sorry to say, but I'm going to order some. Um,
2: They're made from mushrooms, but they taste like bacon. So originally we came out with pig out bacon chips and those bacon chips were like, I like to call them the gateway drug. They were made from um, mushrooms. And basically they tasted just like bacon. We had all these different flavors. And since then, we've come out with what is sort of like the outstanding foods pig out 2.0 is our pork rinds. Pork rinds, unfortunately, are very popular right now with diets similar to like a keto diet. So we created a pork rind that's high in protein, um, but low, I mean, it's obviously not animal protein, it's made from pea protein, and it's um, low in everything else in terms of sodium, all the, the bad that you would get in a real pork rind made from a pig, we sort of take it and we reinvent it, and we make it completely cruelty free, healthy, good for you and delicious. And so that is what's on the shelves today. Um, and it's been a huge hit.
0: Well, a healthy pork rind that is up there with turning water into wine. That. <laughs> that's amazing and how cool to have something that brings the keto people closer to vegan very good Mm -hmm. call well now let's move on to really one of my favorite things in the whole world and that is the kinder beauty box i subscribed because i love ivana and i was so surprised at how Fabulous. This box is every single month I have subscribed to other a cosmetic and toiletry kind of boxes. And very often it's all little samples and they're fine, but just nothing that would get me excited. And I have to say that the one that has arrived since we have been in this pandemic quasi-quarantine situation... Mm-hmm. Made me so happy. And I made a video and put it on Instagram. <laughs> oh, my because gosh. Because the products that you put in there, they are very generous in size. They are totally curated. You have really checked these things out. There have been a couple, because, you know, I'm older. And so when it's, you know, bright, pink, glittery eyeshadow, I send that to my daughter. But it's all it all works. You know, there has never been a single product that you have put in one of those boxes that was like, eh, I'll pass on this. So
2: kudos. Tell us how it started and what
0: gets you excited about it. Thank
2: you. Oh my gosh. Well, because you're, you're such an animal activist yourself. I will tell you, Ivana and I were sort of a match made in heaven, but it wasn't an accident because our third partner um, and co-founder Andrew Bernstein used to work at PETA. And so we both had a mutual love for Andrew and we had done campaigns with him um, before. And so when he sort of broke off to create a vegan business, especially in the beauty space, he came to us and we sort of all brainstormed on this idea. And then Kinder Beauty was born. And I think for Ivana and I, we saw the need. And we also saw the confusion in the beauty space. I was vegan for so many years and still struggled to really differentiate what was cruelty-free and what was vegan, what the difference was. And now, you know, you take it to the next level, what is clean, what is sustainably sourced and what is eco-friendly packaging. These are all the boxes that we really care a lot to tick. And so since then we've grown our subscriber base like tremendously. We've been, now we just celebrate our one year anniversary in January and it's a labor of love. I won't say it's all been easy. We've had quite a few, um, just hurdles of, you know, a normal small business, especially in these times, specifically during the pandemic, but we've learned a lot and and it's, it's, 100% 100% when I say a labor of love, I mean it. This is a passion project of all of ours. We care so much about our subscribers and we care what's in these boxes because there are boxes and, and we're also receivers of these boxes. So when you say you bought this last box and it made you feel good, I'm there with you because I received our box at the very beginning of quarantine and I cried. I just felt like <laughs> it was something, I swear, I cried. I thought, oh my gosh, this is just a little sparkle in my life because at the time all the resources were being swiped off the shelves in the very beginning of all this chaos and I felt like oh my goodness what are what are the things that I need and what can we get delivered and delivers, deliveries were getting you know pushed back and here we are with this box that comes to the door and I just felt what someone else probably felt in that moment just like being a regular subscriber who purchased a kinder beauty box and it arrived and it made me really happy
0: Aww. Well, even yeah. the box is beautiful. It, it's this very pleasing shape. <laughs> I don't know
2: how much that means
0: to people in general, but I notice things like that. And really, at any person out there, male or female, if you care about your skin, if you think that makeup is fun, if you know somebody who thinks that makeup is fun and you can share with them, you've just got to subscribe to the Kinder Beauty Box. And, mm-hmm. and then you know that every single month that you live 12 times a year, you will get this wonderful gift and it will make you happy and it will remind you of the animals who are not suffering uh, for you to be gorgeous and have healthy yeah. skin it's uh it's just it's one of the coolest things out there in fact, I'm Thank doing you. a little uh, facebook live every morning of of april that i'm calling enchanted april and somebody today said tell us about your skincare regimen and i'm thinking well i get this kinder beauty box and whatever is in there i use so uh yeah makes me really happy to talk you up.
2: So I appreciate that. Sorry, just 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 a tidbit because I feel like your listeners will care about this. You know, we do donate a portion of our proceeds every month. And that was really for us, like the biggest piece of the business model. Um, so every month, it's a new organization that we care about in the animal um, advocacy space, but also in the environmental space. And at this point, you know, it, we're kind of just addressing whatever is uh, the, the need at the moment. So we're, we're looking at different programs we can put in place to help COVID-19. Um, so that's, that's a huge thing for us. And, and we appreciate that our subscribers are behind that mission of ours.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. So um, the URL, which of course we'll put in the show notes, but it's just kinderbeauty.com. So can't get any easier than that. So I want to ask you, Daniela, you're out there in LA and you're moving with all these people who are important and influential. Where is veganism in that group? And where do you see it going? Are we going to get this thing done in the next
2: 10 years? <laughs> you know, I see it happening more so than ever. It's almost like the universe is sort of making these interesting changes around us and pushing people in the direction of of being more plant-based than ever before. Um, and I really do... I see the light and I don't think in my, my short generation of being, you know, vegetarian and vegan, I don't think I saw that for a very, very long time. I was sort of the weird one for a very long time. And there wasn't many options for a very long time. And if I kind of like take a huge step back and zoom out a bit, the, the amount of change, the amount that we've moved the needle. And I guess the last decade for me has really been like, mind blowing. So I think it's possible, for sure. Mm, I love that.
0: So when the people that you see who want to invest in in businesses like this, are most of them actually vegan or nearly vegan or do they just think this is an interesting trend?
2: That's a great question. Um both. So I don't know that people think it's a trend because I don't feel like that would be a smart investment. I think people really do see that investing their money um, and getting behind plant based companies is a smart move because it is a smart move. And I think whether or not they are plant based themselves or vegan, um, I just feel like they're subconsciously making decisions with starting with their money and their efforts to support that movement. So whether they're completely on the train or not doesn't so much matter to me at this point, because as long as we can succeed and these companies can succeed and we can make things more accessible to the average person or just anyone who's interested in the vegan space, then that's that's winning. And eventually, I just choose to believe that everyone will follow suit.
0: <laughs> I agree with you. And, and I, I treat people like that, well, really everybody, but especially people who are showing some interest as pregans. <laughs> ah. They're just not here yet, but it's sort of like they're, they're on the moving walkway at the airport and they're going to get to the gate.
2: Mm-hmm. So, I love that.
0: Yeah, well, I love the idea of allies and instead mm-hmm. of enemies. So in just our last couple of minutes, you are a new mom. So yeah. tell us about Geo and Aww. what you've learned so far from being a vegan mom or just a mom mom.
2: Oh man, it's just me. It's amazing. It'll it'll test you. It'll challenge you as a human being. I thought that I was a strong female prior to this, and I think I really gained a lot of strength during pregnancy, especially. I felt like I found a deeper voice in me. It made me want to stand up for animals, specifically like cows in the dairy industry. Um, but but now that I've got my feet wet and I feel like I'm really in it, I just feel strong. I feel content. I feel like I'm supposed to be here. And I feel like I'm raising a human who's going to be kind and who's going to care about the world and uh, the things that maybe people didn't talk about a lot when I was a baby, but now are very much on the forefront of people's minds in terms of the planet and the health of our planet and the the lives of our animals. And just, I mean, at this point, just humans' lives as well. So it's a healthy, very unique and weird time to be raising a new human. (laughs) But I choose to believe that people that are having families at this point are having much more mindful conversations, and we're going to create a much more conscious community, and I'm excited about that. Well
0: I am excited about it too and and I know that Gio is going to be raised in this wonderful wonderful environment where he is precious and all life is is precious to him so that's pretty darn special. So everybody Danielle we didn't even talk yeah. about acting we didn't talk about you being oh. all over television and Nickelodeon and all that but you listeners already knew that. So do check out kinderbeauty.com, outstanding foods, those amazing pork rinds, but not pork, <laughs> of course, sugar taco, if you're out there yeah. in LA and all things Daniela with two L's, Monet, get to know this woman. She is like you changing the world. Thanks so much, Daniela. Pleasure to talk with you. you.
2: Likewise. Mm. Stay safe.
0: Thank you. All (laughs) the best. And
2: everybody else, stay with us.
0: We're going to learn about what veganism might have to do with preventing the next epidemic. Stay with us.
2: Discover the Power Within, Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome
1: back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran.
0: Welcome back everybody. Thank you so much for being part of the Main Street Vegan family. So a couple of announcements I mentioned in the last segment, Enchanted April, that is something I'm doing every morning, 1130 a.m. Eastern Time on my Facebook friend page and we'll put the link on the show notes. So uh, show up. You don't have to have started April 1st. We do some inspiration in the morning. People really seem to be enjoying that. I figure... We need a little bit of enchantment in this April if we ever have. I also want to remind you, if you don't yet know, that A Prayer for Compassion, Thomas Jackson's beautiful, beautiful film that I'm so grateful uh, to have been uh, chosen uh, to lead the production team for that, is now on Amazon Prime. So you can just uh, Google uh, Prayer for Compassion film. And you can watch this beautiful movie and hopefully share it with others. Um, Compassionate Eating Class, that is part of the Unity Spiritual Explorers program. And because of the pandemic and everything everybody is going through, the good people at Unity are offering all their Spiritual Explorers classes free for the month of April 2020. So go to Spiritual Explorers, Compassionate Eating, and it'll say that there's a fee for the course, but just go ahead and sign up. And then when you're able to put something in a discount box, you put prayer, one, two, three, and that will bring the price down to zero, which is a really good price. I'm sure you agree. And finally, your little immuno guide plus soul soothing tips. I put that ebook together back in mid-March when we were first beginning to be affected by the pandemic. We have uh, brought it up to date twice since then because the information keeps changing. So if you go to MainStreetVegan.net and when it says you want to be a Main Street Vegan, you say, yeah, and that will get you uh, my newsletter and blog and your little immuno guide. And, you know, if you just want the guide, you can unsubscribe. We make it easy. Now... Here is a woman who is going to make understanding what is going on right now almost easy. It's science, it's tough, but she knows how to explain it so that all of us can understand. It is my pleasure to welcome back Aisha Akhtar, MD, MPH, double board certified in neurology and preventive medicine with a background in public health. She is CEO of the Center for Contemporary Sciences, pioneering the transition to replace the use of animals in experimentation with effective human-based technologies. You know her as the author of our symphony with animals. <laughs> she was on about six months ago with that. You can find that in the archives. And she's also the author of Animals and Public Health, which argues for the need for medical and health institutions to include animals as part of the public in public health welcome dr okhtar thanks victoria thanks for having me here again well, it's <laughs> it's such a pleasure to have you so you made a statement about what we're dealing with with covid 19 and what the animal connection is can you please explain that to us
1: yeah so um, we with this current pandemic with this current virus covid 19 what we suspect is that the most direct source for the virus came from um, live markets in China, what's often called wet markets. And these are markets where animals are, have either been captured in the wildlife trade or they've been bred in captivity, and they're brought to these markets where they're packed into flimsy crates, piled on top of each other. Animals at the bottom are smothered to death miserable conditions, cruel treatment of animals. These animals are butchered on premise in incredibly horrible ways. And we suspect that this is a direct source for these current COVID-19. Now, what we think happened is that um, the, the virus COVID-19 originates in fruit bats. And fruit bats can carry a lot of different viruses, and they usually don't get sick from them. They just end up being carriers of viruses. But what happens is that in the wildlife trade, like what what we see as it leads to these, um, these live markets in China and elsewhere throughout the world, in the wildlife trade, we're bringing together different species of animals which may normally not have contact with each other. So we're bringing together pangolins and um, different types of cats and different types of bats and you know all kinds of critters that you can imagine which may not have had contact in their natural habitats with each other. Plus, you're bringing animals who are so miserable, so, you know, they're just, they're suffering so much, their immune systems are down as well. So they're immunocompromised and it's so easy for them to catch an infection from another animal. So what we suspect happened is uh, you know that the coronavirus jumped from fruit bats and either indirectly or directly jumped to pangolins which are scaly anteater and maybe or maybe to some other type of animal and then ultimately jumped into humans. And so what this suggests is that our treatment of animals and I'm not just talking about the the these live markets because that's just very much the tip of the iceberg but when we look at the entire trade of animals, the entire wildlife trade, we are creating conditions that are so ideal for a virus to jump from species to species and ultimately to humans.
0: And we've done it. And thank you so much for that uh, very succinct um, explanation. There was uh, an op ed in the New York Times from an ethicist called uh, Our Cruel Treatment of Animals Led to Coronavirus. And someone in the comments said, don't conflate eating meat in Western diets to what transpired in the wet markets of Wuhan province in China. The last time I looked on our weekly menu stuck to the fridge, dead bats, pangolins, porcupines, and dogs were not on the schedule. So I think this is a question that vegans have and that others have. Is this a problem only of exotic, of uh, animals trafficked in places where there maybe aren't high sanitation standards? Or can viruses like this come from regular business as usual USA agriculture? Great
1: question. No, we are, certainly cannot get off scot-free in this. <laughs> um, and I mean, we as in the Western cultures. So it's easy right now for people to point all the blame to China. And yes, we, we might be able to, to absolutely demonstrate or as as much as we possibly can, that this current pandemic stemmed from what's happening or what happened in China. But that's not going to be the case every time, and it hasn't been the case every time. What we are doing in factory farms, what we're doing with our animal agriculture is a very, very much a culprit in the emergence of new infectious diseases as well. So what what we're doing with factory farming is very similar to what's happening in the wildlife trade, except that we're dealing with some different species. Here we're dealing with more domesticated species. So in factory farms, we are cramming thousands, tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of chickens and other animals into single buildings. And just like with the wildlife market, we are treating these animals horribly in factory farms. Again, they are miserable, their immune systems are down, and they are jam-packed with each other. So what happens is that it is very easy for an infectious disease to be passed from one animal in a factory farm to another and to spread across the entire factory farm, like wildfire. And the concern we have with factory farms is not necessarily coronavirus, but the influenza virus. Now, I know that most people hear about the influenza virus and they think it's no big deal. We get the seasonal flu every year. It doesn't seem to be that big of a deal for most of us. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about an influenza virus coming from a factory farm. When we are talking about an influenza virus coming from a factory farm, we are talking about a completely novel influenza virus, a virus we have not seen before. And this is what... Um, and. and The reason why we're so concerned about the influenza virus is one of the worst pandemics in human history was the 1918 virus, and it was an influenza virus. And influenza viruses all originate, what we believe they all originate from wild aquatic birds like wild ducks and wild geese. But humans rarely become sick from direct contact with these wild animals the influenza virus that's carried, the, the foreign that's carried by these wild animals, is not something that tends to cause problems in humans. And this is where factory farms come in. Studies have shown again and again that a influenza virus from a wild animal, wild duck or geese, or through contact through um, humans as the intermediary host, can easily enter a factory farm. And once it enters a factory farm, it has the potential to transform into a virus that is very deadly. And what we have seen in chicken farms, for example, is the emergence of many new strains of influenza viruses, including what we call highly pathogenic influenza virus. And there was one called H5N1 that caused an outbreak in China back in the 2000s. And it was incredibly concerning. Because that virus had an incredibly high uh, lethality rate. Right now, COVID-19 has a case fatality rate of about 2 to 3%. That's what the current estimates are, meaning that about 2 to 3% of the people who catch COVID-19 will die, 2 to 3%, 3%, okay? Let's just say 3% of the population who cap- which, captures, which um, uh, catches the virus will die. H5N1 had a case fatality of 60 percent, meaning 60 percent of the humans who caught the virus died. Can you imagine if an H5N1 were to st- another virus like that were, were to come out from a factory farm and spread around the globe like the way COVID is, and we had a 60 percent mortality rate? We were very lucky at the time when H5N1 did cause this outbreak in China and Southeast Asia and that it ended up not being very contagious, even though it was very deadly. On the other hand, in 2009, we had a new virus emerge, an H1N1 emerge, that we were very concerned about again. And again, this is this virus emerged from factory farms, and although it ended up being incredibly contagious among humans, we suspect that about up to one-sixth of the global population was exposed to H1N1, the virus ended up not being as deadly as we feared. So we were very lucky both times with both of these influenza viruses. And the point is what I'm trying to make and what we cannot, cannot ignore is that as long as we continue to have these factory farms, we continue to have these natural laboratories for the high mutation rate of the influenza virus. It is just a matter of time before a new influenza strain emerges that has the right combination to be both incredibly contagious among humans and far deadlier than what we're facing now with the COVID virus.
0: That is probably the most important um couple of paragraphs i have heard a person speak in a long time and i know that you're uh, down there in washington dc you you are uh, on the media some i want to know why you're not on cnn every night of the week this is so important as i hear it and yet it's not what i'm hearing in in the press and elsewhere what's the problem
1: well, part of the problem is our, our public health agencies. And I will say that, you know, I know that they're struggling right now to deal with the current outbreak. We could have prevented this. And we, our public health agencies have failed us, and they failed us again and again. I worked in the Office of Counterterrorism and Emerging Threats of the Food and Drug Administration for five years, and we were dealing with what to do with these new potential viruses that are emerging. And not once in our conversations did we ever talk about how to prevent these viruses from emerging. All we talked about is what vaccines can we produce? What drugs can we produce? What can we stockpile? But nothing about how to prevent these pandemics from occurring in the first place. And that is a huge failing on the part of our public health agencies. Now, recently, some of of our public health leaders have been calling for an end to the, the live markets in China and elsewhere. And that's a great step, but honestly, that's a little too little too late. We knew about the the threats from these wild markets, even back in 2003 with the SARS outbreak that occurred from one of these markets. We knew about it then. Why weren't our public health agencies calling for an end to these wild markets back then? And so even now, as they're calling for an end to these wild markets, now we also have to address the other potential causes, for these um, pandemics, which includes the entire wildlife trade, not just the wild markets, not just the illegal part of the trade, but the entire trade in animals. And we have to turn our attention to factory farming. And our public health agencies won't do that. And our general media won't do that because basically we will be forcing ourselves to turn the mirror on ourselves and no one wants to do that. And so it's very easy to place blame elsewhere. It's very difficult to look at what we are doing that may be contributing to the next pandemic.
0: That's a lot. So what can those of us who, who do see this, we might not fully understand it, but we see it, what can we do, knowing that we're already considered uh, a little bit on the edge just because we skipped the cheese plate? <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it's, it's really important that I think at this time people may be a little bit more open to hearing why these pandemics are are occurring or how they can emerge, then they might be at other times. And so it's incredibly important that we take this opportunity to inform other people about why, how they can help minimize the emergence of a new pandemic. So we don't have to wait for our political leaders. We don't have to wait for our public health agencies to do the right thing. One thing each of us can do, which is so simple, it truly is so simple, is just to change what's on our dinner plate, change what food we eat. And I'm not saying that if we all went vegan tomorrow that we will have cut out every potential way that a pandemic could occur. That's absolutely not true, but we will have cut out some of the most substantial ways in which new viruses are emerging. And so it's incredibly important that if we really hate being in the situation we are now, if we hate being in this social isolation, Separated from our loved ones, fearful for our loved ones, fearful for our own jobs, our own sources of income. If we don't want this to continue and if we don't want this to be repeated, we each have to take a hard look at our own behaviors and take a look at what we eat and who we eat. And by just cutting out animals, we will help, not only help prevent the next pandemic, but each of us will be healthier for it. We'll have minimized our risk for strokes and heart diseases and cancers and diabetes and obesity. We'll have made a better impact on our planet. We'll have minimized the um, global climate change, uh, reduced the pollution in our air, our water, and our land. And, of course, we will have made the world a better place for other animals, too. Mm. So just changing what we eat can have a tremendous impact that is widespread.
0: Yes. This is so interesting to me. I've been working on a book proposal. In fact, my intention is to turn it in this evening uh, uh, to to my agent, which is really about this. There is no reason not to do this. And yet I think it almost makes it a little bit of a tougher sell. The idea of um, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If you're a vegan, every problem (laughs) looks as if it can be solved by going vegan. And yet I do think that's the situation we're in.
1: Well, yeah, we, not every problem can be um, handled by being a vegan, but a lot of problems could. Yes, quite a few. um, Yeah. And and so, you know, yeah, if you, in this case, I know people don't like to hear this, but we've been, um, animal protection organizations, and we've been saying this again and again, we have to be, we have to take a hard look at how we're treating other animals because infectious diseases are coming because of how we treat other animals. And it turned out, lo and behold, oh, my God, we're right.
0: Yes. You know, so now, how, how
1: many times does this happen have to happen before people start, you know, really listening to us? Yes. Um, and that's why I think that um, it's, it's incredibly important to get this word out as much as possible, because I think if we don't get it out now, while the time is right, we're going to
0: lose this opportunity. So if you were uh, the czar of preventing the next pandemic, Give us the bullet points. What would we be putting into place?
1: Um, I would be right now. There are a couple of things. Right now, I'd be um, um, working with um, business leaders and other political leaders on how can we seriously cut back and eliminate the global trade in animals. That ha- and that ha- that's a that's a a global issue. That is not just a, a domestic issue. Um, so that's one thing, and then the second is, um, and how do we put a more, at, at the very least, how do we put a moratorium on factory farms so that there are no new factory farms created, and how do we start replacing those farms with other types of businesses, and so that we are not just cutting away jobs for farmers, but helping them have different lines of work so that maybe as we've seen in many cases, many of these industries are moving into other types of protein production, plant protein production. So that, that's what I would be doing as well as educating the public about why we need to cut out eating animals as much as possible.
0: And like you say, that is very simple. Can you also weigh in, Dr. Akhtar, on the cases of COVID-19 that have been so prevalent in many of the meat processing plants, many of the slaughterhouses across the country?
1: Um, So you're asking me to comment on those? Yes. I I think, um, you know, to be honest, I don't know all the details, um, but I think that um, as we do know that... Slaughterhouse workers have traditionally not been um, treated very well um, by the slaughterhouse industries, and same with factory farm workers. And uh, this is, might be evidence of further evidence of that lack of good treatment, that these, their, their, the slaughterhouse workers' own health needs were not taken into consideration. So we're seeing rampant um, spread of COVID among these workers and a shutdown of meat plants. I think um, maybe that will ultimately be a good thing for many people in the fact that if our meat production gets slowed down, maybe it will show people that we don't need meat. There are other ways to survive and survive even better.
0: Mm. Well, I am noticing that the delivery services uh, here in New York City are very low <laughs> on tofu beyond burgers, it's uh, almost as if people have gotten the message, well, all right, if we don't think we can get meat, let, let's have other protein. So uh, at least uh, people see that. So um, a, a message question just came in and someone is asking about backyard chickens. Is factory farming the only problem or is this growing trend to have flocks of chickens for one's own eggs? Is that a problem as well?
1: I don't know how much of a problem the the small backyard chickens are. I mean people for have been having backyard chickens forever, right? I mean since mm-hmm. um we first domesticated animals. Um and there have been studies that suggest that the role that backyard chickens play in the emergence and the mutation of the influenza virus has been over over-exaggerated and that really it's the factory farming that is the the main culprit. That's not to say that backyard chickens can't play a role in um, the new viruses but I don't think that's really if we're going to put our focus into one thing it's not really backyard chickens we need to focus on the the factory farms which are really the main culprit behind the high mutation rate of the
0: influenza virus. Yes and factory farms are where people get their food I mean, I hear so many people that say, I only get food from small family farms. If everybody that I knew only got their food from small factory family farms, they, they would be eating all the food that small family farms produce.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we know that's not true. When people go out to eat and all these other things, they're not getting their food from small farms. 95% of the meat, eggs, and dairy that we are eating um, is coming from factory farms. Yeah. So I know a lot of people say, oh, I only buy from these, you know, small farms. Uh, you know,
0: that's that's not quite the case. Yes. So Dr. Aisha Akhtar, our symph- symphony with animals on health, empathy, and our shared destinies. If you haven't read it yet, you must. Beautiful, beautiful, heartwarming book. So Dr. Akhtar, as we all sit in our... Um, sheltering-in-place situations right now. Is there anything that we can be doing to share this message, to get this this word out to our Facebook friends, to our relatives who are FaceTiming us? What do we say?
1: I think what what I have been seeing is that I have been seeing people really um, uh, send, the, uh, send links out to talks like this, like what we're having now, to that New York Times op-ed, Um, There have been op-eds in The Guardian, The Independent, and other places as well that are all saying the same thing. We need to stop treating animals the way we have been. This has to be a wake-up call, and that's really the most important thing. There's no guarantee that people will listen or will read, but if we don't at least send the information out, then we definitely know people will not be listening and not be reading about this.
0: Well, it's so important that this become part of the conversation. It's fascinating to me how some of the other aspects of this uh, hand washing and, and what kind of mask to wear, we've all become aware of this. It's part of the conversation. We're all on the same page and we need to be on that page about uh, the wildlife trade and consumption of animal products. Thank you so very much, Dr. Aisha Akhtar. Thanks, Unity Online Radio, for hosting this program, and thanks to all of you for listening. Be well, be safe, be happy, and most of all, even if you have to start small and build up, be vegan. You'll be glad you did, and so will everybody else on this planet. All the best. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
1: Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me For igniting the spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.